Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 as we look at the topic of justification today. In Homer's Iliad, he tells the story of a great Trojan warrior who's getting ready to go into battle with all his armor on, and he decides to say goodbye to his young son. And he reaches out to embrace his son, and his son sees him in all of that armor and pushes away and goes back to the nurse. And the father, the soldier, the warrior just laughs, takes off his bronze helmet and some of his gear, and then reaches out, and his son embraces him, and he tells him goodbye. Once the son recognizes that that is his loving father, he's okay with it. And as I thought about Paul's presentation in chapter 3, beginning in verse 21 today, he's kind of doing the same thing. He has presented already in chapters 1 through 3 the wrath of God. The fact that God, because of who he is and who he, as a holy, righteous, just God, that he needs to judge sin, and all are sinners. Then Paul begins in this passage here, in essence, to take off the armor and not just speak of a God who's a God of justice, but also a God of, of love and a God of mercy. We've been singing about it already this morning. Chapter 3, verse 21, if you would follow along as I read aloud. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God for Jews only? Is he not also for the Gentiles? Yes, for Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Well, let me give you a definition, a working definition of this word justification as we talk about Paul explaining justification, the way God makes us right with himself. This is how it's been defined by theologians. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. It's an act, not a process. It's a once-for-all act. This justification 
took place when Christ died for our sins on the cross, and it is appropriated to us when we by faith receive that, appropriate that to our lives. It's an act of God. It's something that God does, not something that we do. We cannot make ourselves right with God. He had to do that. And he says there, he declares the believing sinner, in our definition, the believing sinner righteous. As Paul lets us know here, the righteousness of God is something where God takes the the sinner's record and, and, and wipes it clean and puts the righteousness of Christ accounted to us. So let's look at 10 uh, aspects or a 10-point working definition of what justi- justification is as work way through this passage. First of all, justification, Paul says, is apart from the law, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed. So when we talk about God's righteousness revealed, we talk about God making us right with himself. Justification, it is apart from the law. We are not saved by keeping rules. We are not made right with God by keeping a, a list of do's and don'ts. That is not the way it works. Someone had said that the, the gospel that Paul preached reverses every worldview and every religion. Do you know the way most religions say you get to heaven or get to paradise, whatever they call it? It's by doing good things, by earning it yourself. And the gospel reverses that. The gospel says there's nothing you can do to earn that yourself. It is, it is something that God and God alone can do. I think about Paul and his testimony. If ever there was a person that could say, I have, I have gained, I've done enough to be able to say I can make it to heaven. In chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul mentions his, his uh, credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I'm looking at verse 5 in Philippians 3. Uh, of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul says his life, the one writing this letter to the church at Rome, his life, if there ever was a life that would measure up, Paul says, I've I've lived that kind of life. And we know that there isn't a life that will measure up, and we'll look at that as we walk through this passage of Scripture. We said, I think, last week that that this, this is a matter of us coming to God with empty hands saying, here I am, God, there's nothing I bring to you to make me worthy of salvation. I come with empty hands. It's apart from the law, apart from doing good things, apart from just going through the rules and regulations. Number two, justification is attested by the law and the prophets. Look at verse 21 again. After he says it's it's revealed, it's attested by the law and the prophets. Whenever, uh, often in the New Testament, when the phrase law and prophets is used, it refers to, to the scriptures as they knew it. The Old Testament but they don't say it that way because the New Testament is being lived out and written. They say the law and the prophets to refer to the, to the scriptures that they had. So what Paul is saying is the scriptures attest or verify or prove the fact that justification is necessary, giving clear evidence. I think back at Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. Remember that we said that was really kind of the heart, the key of the whole book of Romans where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he goes on to say, for in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's almost as if Paul is now going back to verse 17 and picking up what that righteousness is lived by faith has to say and has to do. So we, we think about God using the Old Testament, the law and the prophets to point us to himself, to to do saving acts with the people of God as we follow the life of the children of Israel, pointing to the coming of the Messiah, showing that that it'll be fulfilled. Someone has said it this way, that the, 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 the law was a witness to the gospel, but it couldn't provide it. 
The law was a, a testimony that we needed a Savior, was not able to provide it, attested to, verified. There is something needed here, and the law says it's needed. I think about my, uh, my automotive repair skills, limited as they are. I can do a few things. I can work on machinery. I can do some stuff, but I'm really not gifted enough to do a lot of stuff. But I can diagnose. Our daughter has a car and driving it, and it's making noises. Dad, what's wrong? Well, it's the transmission. We're going to have to take it to somebody who knows how to fix that because I don't know how to fix that. Or maybe I'll be riding with someone and hear this rattle, and I'll think, well, it's, that's the ball joint. You need to replace that. And I'm thinking, you need to take it to a mechanic. You know, I, I can diagnose, but I can't fix Take it to a mechanic. That, in essence, that's what Paul says when, when he says the law and the prophets attest to the fact that we need justification. The law says you need a mechanic. Take it to the mechanic. You need a savior. Here's the, here's the reality. Remember we said this. Don't miss this. That the, the Ten Commandments is, a, is the heart of the law and all the law that goes with it was merely a, a standard that set up for us to say no one can attain that. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. It's attested to by the the scriptures. Number three, justification is experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. There there are three key, I think, verses in this passage that I read. 22, 23, and then 28. But listen to 22. That is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. God's righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Now, if there's any doubt how God's righteousness becomes part of my life, becomes applied to my life, where when God looks at me, he sees his righteousness, if there's any way that can happen, it's stated clearly right here, isn't it? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is only as good as its object. We, we can't say, just have faith and you'll go to heaven. Faith is only the instrument by which God delivers us, by which God appropriates justification and salvation to us. Just a simple illustration about how the object of faith is what's important, faith in Christ Jesus. If I could have this unshakable, unwavering faith that I can strap some feathers or some gear on my arms and, and make my arms into wings, and I could get a running start out here on the bay, that I could get up in the air and fly to Thailand... 15 flight hours or whatever on a, on a jet. If I, if I have unshakable faith that I can do that, and I go out there and do that, what's going to happen to me? Yeah, you know what's going to happen to me. I'm not going to get off the ground at all. Even though I have unshakable faith, it's misplaced. But, but think about me and the limited, doubting, very weak faith that I have that that enormous jumbo jet that I step on and the rows are as wide as this room, that that thing's going to get off the ground and get me to Thailand. Now, what's the likelihood that that's going to happen? Pretty likely. Why? Because the object of my faith. I get on a jet with not much faith, but I'm placing my faith in something that's pretty reliable. You see the difference? Paul is saying it is so important that our faith be in Christ Jesus. Don't place your faith in a denomination. Don't place your faith in a pastor. Don't place your faith in in an institution. Don't place your faith in a system of religion. Place your faith in Jesus Christ because all those other things will let you down and all those other things are limited. Number four, 
I could park on that point. I think I did. Number four, as we think about more of this definition of justification, justification is for all people, for all men. Look at verse 22 and 23. Again, he says it's to all who believe. And, and he makes it clear there's no distinction. Remember, he's already talked about the Jew and the Gentile. No distinction. All men. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're in the habit of underlining in your Bible, you ought to have Romans 3.23 underlined or highlighted. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God declared all men guilty so that he could offer all men the free gift of salvation. Isn't that incredible? See, we think about, oh, it's terrible that God would say all are sinners. But he, he declared us sinners so that he could offer us a gift to say there's no way you can be good enough. I have this gift of salvation to give you. Falling short of the glory of God. The glory of God, if you just get in your mind and think that that's, that's God's standard of holiness, of, of, of perfection, holiness, the glory of God. No one can attain that. Sometimes when I was teaching chapel with our, our Christian school or at, at, at camp with kids, I would, I would get out my bow and arrow and bring it, and I'd put a target up high, and I'd, I'd shoot my arrow, and they'd get all excited. But I always made sure that they always fell short. And we talk about, I'd pull harder on the bow and let it go, and it'd go, but it'd always fall short. I said, that's, our, that's where we are. That target is God's holiness, perfection, righteousness. Everything I do is going to fall short of that. Another analogy that might help you understand this, this, this need because we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Suppose that I was to decide I'm going to get up a swimming team and we're going to swim from the coast of California to Hawaii. All right, some of you are laughing. Rightly so. We get out there and my family's in the water and we're going and probably the first one to go under would be Kelly. She can swim, but... but We've got better swimmers in our family, all right? Is that, is that all right that I said it that way? I didn't say you dog paddled out there. I think I said at 8.30 she made it 15 yards and they laughed. So I don't know how far she would make it, but she'd probably be the first one to go under. Then there'd be me. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with it, and I'm going to go, and eventually I'm going to give out, and I'm going to go under. Then probably my daughter, Carissa, and she's going to go under. And then our son, Cameron, who swims like a fish. I don't know where he got that. Nobody taught him that. He just picked it up. And he can swim and swim and swim. He, he swims lakes across lakes and rivers just for fun. Just I think I'm going to swim across that thing today. That's what he does. And, but you know what? Eventually he's going to go under. Well, then I, I, I bring up the, the, the real key guy to our team, Michael Phelps, Olympic swimmer. Okay, Michael, you got it. We're all going under, but you'll make it for us. And he gets even further than we would ever dream to go. But you know what's going to happen? Eventually he's going to go under. That's a picture of how ridiculous it is to think that we can get to heaven by ourselves. You say, nobody would think they could swim all the way to Hawaii. Nobody. Paul says, nobody should think they can get to heaven and reach the glory, the holiness of God by themselves. Because of that, listen to this incredible truth in verse 24. Justification is by grace, freely. By grace. Look at verse 24 with me. They are justified. They are all of us who are guilty, are justified freely by his grace. Don't miss that. Freely. That means without any cause, totally unwarranted. Freely. Grace. Someone defined grace as it's God's unmerited favor for me. Grace. John Ortberg tells the story. 
he was at the Azusa Pacific um, University, and I think some of his kids were graduating, or he knew some that were graduating there. And he and his wife got invited to this special celebration around commencement, and they went in this room with some of the, the presidents and VIPs and dignitaries, and, and they were introducing three uh, students who were about to leave when they graduated. They were going to India to minister to the poorest of the poor. And so those three thought they were probably there for some kind of a commissioning service, and the president stood up, and he said, I have some news, some good news. And he turned to one student and he said, because of, because of an anonymous giver, your college debt has been paid for. $105,000 forgiven. And he starts crying. Then he turns to the other student and he says, because of that same, because of another donor, you, your debt of $70,000 has been forgiven. And then they turned to the third one and he had like $103,000, something like that, indebtedness, $130,000. He says, your debt's been paid too. And I love what Ortberg shares when he wraps up that story. He says this, all three students had no idea this was coming. They were just ambushed by grace. Isn't that a great word? I love that. Ambushed by grace. They went into that, making this commitment. They're going to go to the mission field, not knowing how in the world that overwhelming debt's going to get taken care of. Taken care of. And by grace, they're just surprised they're ambushed. And someone said, I'll take care of it. That's what God did. Freely. By his grace, we don't deserve it. I think Andy mentioned that a moment ago. What we deserve is separation from God. What he gives us is grace. Sixth statement about justification. It came at a great cost to God. Don't misunderstand me. When when the Bible says God's gift is free, the free gift of God, or the free gift of salvation, or freely given, grace freely given, doesn't mean cheap. doesn't mean cheap. Look at verse 24, uh, continuing that. As he mentions this, through redemption in Christ Jesus, uh, let me just start with verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To be bought back, God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because his righteous God had passed over the sins. In his restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed. It came at a great cost, a great cost. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preacher of another generation, said, the man who has faith is no longer looking at himself or to himself or what he once was or what he once could be or what he is now or what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus and his finished work and rests in that alone. The cost of our justification, being made right with God, the cost of our salvation was was paid for with a great price. It cost the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, His life on a cross. By the way, the Bible says He freely gave His life for us. He said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. That is incredible. Grace, freely given. G. Campbell Morgan used to tell a story of trying to share Christ with uh, a uh, coal miner who was struggling with understanding how God's grace can be free but still costing something. And he just didn't understand it. And, and, and Morgan had the idea. He was taking an elevator down into the coal mine. He said, let me ask you something. When you take that elevator down in that coal mine, do you have to pay? He said, no, it's, it's, it's free. Well, it, surely it's not free. And the guy said, well, the, the owner of the mining company built it so we could go down there. He said, so that free ride up and down in the coal mine was paid for by the owner of the company, and that miner got it. 
yeah, that free, that free grace gift that I'm given by God to get to heaven was paid for with the precious blood of Christ. I put the definition, I think, in your notes of that word propitiation. It's left in there by the translators of the Holman Bible just because it's such a, a that word is so packed with so much theology. Some translations try to translate it mercy seat or sacrifice of atonement. Here's what propitiation is. There's no other word like it. It is the satisfying of God's holy law, the meeting of its just demands, so that God could freely forgive those who come to Christ. God at the cross, making sure that he paid the price for our sins so that he could freely offer forgiveness of sins. Those readers would know what it was like to be in debt. In that culture, often people in an agricultural society, especially in that culture, people would, would have a debt they couldn't pay. They would sell themselves into slavery. And they would be obligated to try to pay that debt off. And many of them work in their whole life. And they would understand when the Bible talked about this debt being paid. And the concept of a kinsman redeemer that scripture tells about where the, the price has been paid. Christ did that. We have a picture in the Old Testament of the, of the, the uh, scapegoat of the, the goat being sacrificed at the altar in the the blood sprinkled at the mercy seat, the first goat, the sacrifice. And then the second goat, the priest would place his hands on that goat. And it was a picture of transferring the sins of the people on the goat. And then they'd send that goat off in the wilderness, that scapegoat, to, to take the sins of the people away. So look at this picture. It's propitiation. An, an innocent animal is sacrificed. Its blood is shed and placed on the mercy seat, placed there. Innocent sacrifice, blood sacrifice. And then the picture is... The sins of the people represented by that sacrifice are represented by placing the hands on the goat and sending them out in the wilderness. That's salvation. The, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, Christ Jesus himself, died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. His, he shed his blood and he took our sins. The Bible says in Psalm, I think it's 103, as far as the east is from the west, he has taken our sins from us. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. There's another phrase in here that we might need to talk about, though I don't really understand the full meaning of it. When he speaks in verse 25 of, of God, because of his restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed. Theologians argue about that. I think the best explanation for me is that, that, that those sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament were, were acknowledging sin, but they were a temporary covering for sin that ultimately God would say, I know those sacrifices won't pay the price, but one day... I will send Messiah and he will pay the price. Hebrews speaks of that where the, the Bible says the Old Testament was just a shadow of things to come. The, the blood of bulls and goats was not able to take away sin. It was temporary. Then the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, about like 11 and 12, that, that Jesus Christ was the, the one and only once for all sacrifice that atoned for sin. All of that picture, all of that picture of propitiation took place in Christ Jesus himself. What a powerful payment for our sin. The cross is the place, Tim Keller says, where the judge takes the judgment. Paul says it this way, the righteous died so that we could be made right with him and receive his righteousness. And that takes us to number seven, justification shows the perfect justice of God demonstrating his righteousness. Verse 25, I just read that. His righteousness, declaring us righteous. Isn't that powerful? 
Verse 26, so that he could declare righteous those of us who by faith place our faith in Christ Jesus. Someone said the sacrifices and rituals of the Old Testament were just placeholders until the ultimate sacrifice could come. I love that. He is both the just and the justifier, both the, the right one and the one who brings righteousness to us. It doesn't represent a compromise where God goes halfway. He's going to be halfway judge and halfway justifier or halfway holy and halfway forgiver. He is all of those. His character demands it. He is a holy, righteous God who does not give. He does not yield. He does not he has a standard of holiness, yet he is a God who forgives. Perfect justice. Perfect justice. The eighth part of justification, because of all of this, justification excludes pride. If this wasn't clear enough, Paul says it this way, where then is boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, on the contrary, by law of faith, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, is there anything that we can boast in? No. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you're saved, through faith, it's a gift of God. It's not of work so that no one can what? Boast. If, if you could be good enough to get to heaven, if God would weigh your bad and your good and, and say, yeah, you got more good than bad, you're going to heaven, you could brag about how good you were. You could brag about that you're the best swimmer that got all the way to Hawaii. You could brag about it. You could boast. Paul said, I'm not going to boast in anything except Christ and him crucified. Pride is excluded. Paul said of that list of qualifications in the Jewish faith he had as a Pharisee in the tribe of Benjamin and a keeper of the law. Later in that passage in Philippians 3, he says, I count that all refuge or, or rubbish or garbage that I could attain Christ. The best that I can be, the, the person who wrote much of the New Testament in the book of Romans, one of the best theologians who's ever lived, the best he could be, he said, is just garbage. It's not enough. What does the Old Testament writers say? All our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. Pride's excluded. Number nine. Justification affirms that God is impartial. God is impartial. He mentions in verse 29, is God for the Jews only? Is he for the Gentiles? He's for both. But it's, I love verse 30. Since there's one God who will justify the circumcised by faith. In other words, one God who will justify the religious people by faith. Who will also justify the uncircumcised, the unreligious, irreligious people, the sinners, the Gentiles, the pagans. He justifies them by faith too. He's impartial. Like the parent who sets the same boundaries for their kids. And you know kids are different and you do have to treat them differently because of their temperament and personality, but you still have the same standards and the same guidelines and the same boundaries for those kids. That's what God has for us. And lastly, justification upholds the law. Verse 31. It didn't cancel the law. Christ paying the price for our sins didn't cancel it. It upholds it. Put it in its proper place. Some translations say confirm or establish. I like that word uphold. Again, theologians debate about that phrase, but, but I'm going to share what I believe three Three ways that, we, that we could, it could be said that we uphold the law. First of all, we uphold the law when we allow the law, the word of God, the, the, the law, 
the Ten Commandments and the other rules and regulations, when we allow those to show us our need for a Savior that we can't measure up. We uphold it when we say, yes, it, it was my tutor, my schoolmaster, to point me to Christ. I uphold the law when I allow it to do that. I uphold the law when I see it as God's standard for holiness in my life. I uphold the law when I see it as a, a source of guidance for my life, what God would want me to live as a righteous person. I love the truth that not only can we not keep the law, but we know someone who did keep the law. His name is Jesus. I used to tell people, you don't worry about keeping it. He kept it. You just keep him. You just trust him. Justification. God making us right with himself. Amazing reality. Back in the 18th century, a young boy was born in a Christian home. The first six years of his life were good. He was taught to pray. He was taught scriptures. Things went well. Then his parents died, and he was sent away to live with relatives. They were, they were ungodly. They ridiculed his Christian faith. They ridiculed his, his, uh, all of his faith. And they abused him. After a while, he got tired of that, and he ran away from that home and joined the Navy. And he was a reprobate in the Navy. He was always getting in trouble, always getting in fights. He, he was a rebel. He deserted from the Navy because they were making it hard on him and hooked up with a slave trader. That slave trader so cruelly abused and mistreated him, he said sometimes he would just be on his hands and knees eating food off the floor. It was so bad. Then he left that slave trader and joined up with another and became first mate on this slave ship. One time he got drunk, stole the whiskey from the, the storage and fell overboard and one of the other crew members harpooned him to get him back and actually speared him and he had the scar that he used to show people. But then one night in a storm off the coast of Scotland, he became so fearful that he would lose his life. He started to think back on the scriptures he had heard as a kid. And he gave his life to Christ. A few year, or years later after that, he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. See, John Newton went back to the reality of who Jesus was and what he had done for him. And after that moment of trusting him as Savior, he never forgot it. How about you? Have you trusted him? Can you say amazing grace? I once was lost, but now I've been found. I once was separated from God, but now I'm in relationship with him. I was blinded, but now I see. If you haven't made that commitment, I invite you to make it today. Let's pray together.